Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travers and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I'm glad you're joining me today. I have an interesting episode for you today, because today in this podcast, we're actually going to go through a pretty heavy topic that I think I know more about than than most people that have um, been in the political world on the Republican side, I would say, because I had kind of a unique campaign. And that is because I am one of the candidates that ran for office while we were going through Roe v. Wade getting overturned. And so today we'll be talking about abortion. Uh, Many of you probably know that when people look back at the gubernatorial race in Michigan, a lot of folks would say that abortion was the deciding factor. And I think that to almost certain extent that is the case, that's that's what pushed people to the Democrat side. But I kind of want to unpack exactly what happened in the movement And what I see the answer is for Republicans going forward on the discussion of abortion, because we learned a lot here in Michigan. And I think that if you learn that much, you certainly should share it. So let me go through a little bit about how what it was like on my side of the race, because in in the primary we're going through and we're discussing where we stand on certain issues. And of course, you've all heard that I'm pro-life and I have my reasons for that. But what you might not know about me as a pro-life person is that I wasn't always a pro-life person. I grew up in a very liberal town and I was at a very liberal high school. And I like to explain to people who don't understand folks on the pro-choice side, I like to explain what it was like to grow up in the way that I grew up. And that is that in my high school, we learned about the woman's right to vote right next to the woman's right to choose. And so people were taught 
I mean, as young women, we were taught like you're a part of this club. These people worked really hard to make it legal for you to vote and make it legal for you to make this choice about your health care. It wasn't about killing a baby or getting rid of a baby. It was about your health care. And it's a very compelling case when you're a young woman. And really, they're not explaining to you any of the details of that. And there's a mindset of this is not really a child until you give birth to the baby. And so I really was manipulated by that for many years and believed in that until I had my own miscarriage. I would say not even, you know, even going through my first birth, I guess I hadn't really thought much about that movement because it hadn't been something that had been a part of my life. You know, I was busy working. And I think this is something other people need to recognize too. Not everybody is an activist on one side or the other. Most people are just living their lives. And so they're getting fed information from campaigns and that's very powerful. So for me, when I was 33, I lost a baby at 18 weeks. My baby, um, I went in for my appointment and the doctor said the baby's heartbeat wasn't beating anymore. And so she looked at me and she said, we can go in right now and we can do the surgery and, you know, we'll just cut the baby out. But you won't, I mean, it would really be cutting the baby up. You know, you won't see the baby. It'll just be a surgical procedure. You'll be in and out in a few hours. Or you can go through labor. You can hold the baby. We can see what happened to the baby. And, you know, at that time, I couldn't, I just found out that I lost the baby and I couldn't stand the thought of cutting the baby up. And so I went into the hospital. I was in the hospital for three days and went through labor and um, actually went through labor, held the baby, um, ended up having a complication after holding the baby and going into surgery. And those are scary times. But I think that holding a baby at 18 weeks was really it really tugged on my heart in a new and different way than I had ever seen before. But I'm also in the position of because of that, because of not having understood that beforehand, I, I see how the culture of society has changed the ideas of what the what a pregnancy is and how people feel that this right to choose is is so important. And so this was a really hard thing for me during the campaign, because when you talk about this in a campaign, you have all these groups come to you and they're like, we want you to hear all of these sides, really the pro-life sides. So I had a lot of the pro, pro-life groups come to me and I heard so many incredible stories. And they're really hard stories to not carry along with you the rest of your life of families that had made the choice to keep their baby or to put their baby up for adoption and how this had changed their whole world. And, and it was, it helped them. It was a good thing for them. You'll hear all of these positive stories. I was obviously on the conservative side. So those are the stories that I'm hearing. And they asked me to share those stories. And I was a first time candidate. And I'm also, again, one of the candidates that is running for the first time and I say this in all sincerity with no protection from Roe v. Wade. And I say no protection because I think that every conservative running before 2022 could say they were pro-life and not have the consequence of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And that is just the hard and brutal truth. And I will get a lot of criticism for that. But people need to understand that we for the first time realized that that was a small battle 
in a very long war. And I want you to think about this from the standpoint of 50 years. For 50 years, women have said this is a right. And then I think that a lot of people in the life movement felt that this was winning the war. Going in there and Roe v. Wade getting overturned, that was winning the war. It was over. There was going to be no more abortion. But it was just a tiny battle in the ongoing war for life. And the war is not a war that should be happening on just the political side. This is something that we have lost the hearts of the people on. I know. I was one of them. I totally get it. And I think that there are so many women out there who go, yeah, that's how I feel too. I think that because I traveled around the entire state of Michigan and I had strong Christian women come to me and say, you cannot have this stance on abortion. That was really tough because every time I would say something on the radio or talk on a a television interview and it wasn't exactly what folks in the life movement wanted, I would get a call. Make amends. Go back. Go back and tell them you were wrong. And it was really damaging to a campaign. But I felt that I was endorsed by these groups. I didn't want to go against my that loyalty. But I also, I mean, I am a strong pro-life person, but I know that the country is in a different place. And so we were asking people to go against what their heart says. What I realized in this is something that has been really challenging for, I think, all pro-life people. And that is that we are not celebrating our wins. We have so many wins in this. If you talk about the young woman who comes to the pregnancy center and decides that she's going to raise her baby or give her baby up for adoption, but also look, the majority of the Western world is at 10 to 12 weeks. This is something that I remember halfway through and Michigan is kind of unique because we had it on the ballot. And so I think people felt that when I said, look, if you want to vote for this, it's on the ballot that I was also betraying the pro-life movement. But I also saw what was happening on the ground. And I knew that people's hearts were not where the pro-life movement thought that they were going to be. So we started talking about what that meant with some of my folks that were really very pro-life. And I said, I really think that there is a chance in the state of Michigan, based on just going around and talking to people, that you are going to go from protecting some life to protecting no life. And they wouldn't see, they just said, no, our polling doesn't show that. And this is also what you should know about polling. It's not always going to show you what you're really seeing. You have to be out there hearing from people. The polling didn't show that, but I was talking to people and I was seeing that. I said to them, don't you think that there is a chance that if you go to 12 weeks, you can can see this as a big win? And I think this is where the life movement needs to start thinking about things because the legislative path is a tiny path in winning over the hearts of people for family. And it has to come from many different angles. So if I were to tell someone today, Michigan before 2022 was a Roe v. Wade state. So it was 24 to 26 weeks for abortion. We could have gone to 12 weeks. I guarantee you it would have passed. We would have cut that in half 
And we could have celebrated that as a huge win for the life movement. Look, you went from 24 to 12 weeks. That is a huge win for the life movement. And that's just the law. There are so many things that you can do to impact hearts and minds outside of the law. But that wasn't acceptable at that time. And now because of that, we have abortion up to the moment of birth. So I am calling on the people in the life movement to see that there are wins along the way because we cannot live in a world of absolutes. And that's something that we should take away from 22 in general. Absolutes will never win races. We are in a situation where we have the sides so far apart when you really were not that far apart, but absolutes will kill a relationship every time. Look at it. I, I tell this story of a friend of mine who got divorced and I said to her, what happened? What do you think it was that ended the relationship? And it was funny because, you know, she's going, well, he always does this and he always does that. And he never does this and he never does that. And he thinks I always do this always and nevers, always and nevers took two people, broke them apart because they lived in the absolutes, the either sides. And so many times our legislators, our elected officials, our candidates are controlled by those absolutes because you have these outside movements that come in and say, no, you have to live right here in this space. But then I can't meet people. I can't change their hearts. I can't help them succeed in life if I live in the absolutes. So why are we not saying that there's an opportunity to come together outside of that. And and I can tell you that like <laughs> biblically, because so many times I've had people that are in this position that have said, you know, I had this movement come to me and they said, you're not a good Christian. You're not a good Christian. I, it's funny because we decided to do this podcast. And last night I got a letter from a woman after I talked to a pro-life group, I got a letter from a woman that was very encouraging. And then I got a letter from someone else this morning who was telling me, have you noticed that you haven't been invited to certain life events? That's because you let us down. That's because you ended up hurting our movement. We worked for 30 years on this. And in three months, you destroyed it. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I would argue that it doesn't come down to one politician, one candidate, one elected official that can tear down an entire movement. I would say, what biblically are we being told here? What are we missing? Because God didn't just let this happen because he said, gosh, you know, these these people running for office, they just don't get it. But I think God would tell us that you can't live in the absolute because Jesus didn't live in the absolute. And he gave us so many stories of this. He gave us so many stories. Like, I mean, even if we start with Abraham and Abraham was told by God that you will have a child. And he's like, yeah, um, I can't because I'm too old. Sarah's too old. The absolute, we are too old. But God, you, you're telling me this. So there must be another way that I'm supposed to figure that out on my own. I can't trust you uh, on this because you think I can do this at this age. I'm going to have to do it my way. And so he goes out and we have Ishmael and God says, that wasn't my plan. I told you my plan. You lived in the absolute. Come back to the center. There's a way to do it. We can talk about Jacob, who believed that he had to get the blessing and tricked his father into giving him the blessing because that was the absolute. I have to have the blessing. So I will do it my way. And so often we are so closed to the fact that we can come together, that there is another way, this malicious obedience to the law. I mean, that was the Pharisees, right? If we're, if we're really being honest about this, the Pharisees were walking around with scripture on their arm, pulling it open and saying, no, 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 according to the law, you're wrong. I'm right. This is not, you are not right. I'm better than you because I know the law. That's what people are seeing right now when conservatives or these, some of these folks in the life movement come out and say, you are totally wrong. They see the Pharisees and they step away because they're like, well, I can never be that good. That is us losing. So I'll go to one more example, and that is Naomi. Naomi and Ruth. 
In the Bible, Naomi loses her sons and her husband, and she tells her daughter-in-laws, leave. You don't want to be around me. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I changed my name. I'm never going to be happy again. It is an absolute. I've lost my family. I am not going to get through this. I am absolutely going to be this way the rest of my life. And you know what? I got to say, there's a lot of women out there that would choose the path of the other daughter-in-law and be like, yeah, I'm out. I'm not really not going to hang out with my better mother-in-law the rest of my life. Don't have a lot of opportunities here because that's just how it was back then. I'm going to leave. But Ruth was like, stop living in the absolute. I'm not calling you Mara. You're going to be Naomi. I'm going to take care of you. And ultimately, look at the beauty, beautiful story that came from that. Ruth goes out. She's She's picking up the wheat. Boaz notices her. Naomi goes on to become a grandmother, to have a wonderful life, to live in a family that was wealthy and safe. And it was because Ruth didn't say, this is the way life is, and I no longer can be with you. We have got to get away from these absolutes and say, there is a way to come together. And I know there are people in the life movement right now saying, you're saying that you're willing to let babies die. I'm telling you, the hearts of people have been hardened against your message. You need to take a step back and say, what have we done wrong with this message? And is this message just something that we want candidates to talk about every two years? Or is this something that we want to be pushing legislation for when it comes to adoption, when it comes to childcare, making it easier for single moms? There are so many ways to have those small wins. I could take Michigan from 30,000 abortions to 25 to 20 with legislation that isn't saying this is where we stand on abortion, with legislation that is saying this is why family is so wonderful. A few years back, my husband and I went to a Bible study and it was on parenting. And at the beginning of the Bible study, we learned a lot about words of life and words of death, something I'd never heard about before. But if you think about it, it's interesting because if my child brings me a picture of an elephant and I look down and I'm like, oh, is that an ocean? And they go, no, it's an elephant. And I say, oh, you didn't do a very good job actually making the trunk look like an elephant. What if I were instead to use words with my young three-year-old child that has drawn an elephant saying, oh, that's exciting. I can see it. I want to help you draw more. I want to help you get better at this. Let's keep doing this. We are on the conservative side too often speaking words of death. I asked a young woman the other day, if you were to listen to the conservative movement, would you want to have kids? And she was like, oh, that's funny. No. I mean, even my friends are like, I don't even want to bring kids into this world. And I thought, wow, that's that's awful. Because if that's what we're doing, if this conversation that we're having about schools and and how hard it is to be a parent and the cost of things and abortion is all driving people away from family, then we have been speaking words of death instead of words of life. And so when you have people saying, boy, the conservative movement is lost on the pro-life message, I would agree. We were very lost because we weren't expecting it fighting for 50 years, but not expecting one battle to be won, expecting it to be the war. So when it wasn't the war that was over, 
there was no idea of what to do to win to continue on with more battles. I would say that we have this situation in so many different areas of politics. This is the time for us to start using words of life. So to start coming around people, meeting people where they are. The Democrats are great at this. I mean, the Democrats were great at this with the abortion stuff. Look, in Michigan, they spliced together things that I said. There was a time when I was asked about our proposal, which passed, which allows abortion up to the moment of birth. It also allows somebody to take you to an abortion clinic without your parents knowing. It allows for a gender transition without your parents knowing. Um, it's almost, it's almost a, a, I mean, what it is, is really a protection for sex trafficking and Michigan has a sex trafficking problem. And so when asked about this, well, how do you feel about this? Are you really pro-life? I said, when I look at prop three, I think prop three is the perfect example. And for those of you in Michigan, you've heard this statement. I know you have the perfect example because they spliced it and they went, they took away what I said next. So what I said was, this is the perfect example of why we need parental consent so abusers can't take women to clinics over and over and over again. But they spliced that with a point where I said, a life is a life. And they, and they manipulated people's minds. They went straight to them and they made them believe that I, they, I think they actually created a new term for me, <laughs> something that I'd never heard before. They called me a forced birther. She is going to force people to give birth. I mean, think about that. When you are on the pro-life side, how do you get people to come and talk to you if you are now a forced birther, those scared young women? And I know this because one of my dear friends was that scared young woman at 16 and had a boyfriend that drove her out of state so that she could quietly have an abortion and no one would know. That exists. Those people are out there. Those women need to be loved. They don't need to be told that they're wrong. They don't need someone pulling out the scroll from their sleeve and saying, I know the law better than you. I know that you screwed up. They need to be loved and told there are options. They need words of life, not words of death. That's our opportunity here is to start talking to people and winning over families outside of election time. I had a woman, I told you, I had the, the message this morning from someone who was saying, have you noticed you haven't been invited to life events? That's because you let us down. People are blaming you all across the state because you let us down. And I'm like, that's so funny because I feel like I walked into this with no cover. It's like you're walking it. You are in the battle. You are on the battlefield alone. And I was on the battlefield alone because nobody, this was new territory. This was astronaut stuff. Nobody has seen a post Roe v. Wade world, right? So I go out there with no cover. But I spoke last weekend to these women and I told this story of we cannot live in the absolutes. We have to realize that there is a way to talk about this that brings family back, that we can celebrate a 12-week win. We can. We can celebrate that as a win because for 50 years, we've been at 24 to 26 weeks. And if you cannot say you are glad to cut that in half, then where are we? If you have to live in the absolute of nothing you will get everything every single time. And that's what happened to us. And so I had this woman write me this letter, just it, 
just by chance, this came in last night, even though we were planning this, because God is interesting like that, right? Because I'm not understanding exactly what he wants me to do with the message that he gave me. But she says, she writes this long letter and she says, um, she says, you spoke and it resonated with me as a leader in the pro-life movement. She said, furthermore, as the head of a pregnancy care center, I find it incredibly challenging to both fulfill our brand promise to offer non-judgmental, compassionate care and stay apolitical in our approach. What I mean by that is if our patients, clients see us as a political organization, we won't be trusted with our brand promise. This life, this is not a political issue. This is a heart issue. We lost the culture on this. We were fighting wars. We were fighting these battles in court, but we weren't on the ground. We weren't in the media. We weren't in the television shows, in the movies, in the music, the culture, in the schools. I'm telling you, one page, the women's right to vote. The next page, the woman's right to choose. You are a part of this club. You are a woman. You must continue to keep this message alive. That was what was being taught. And yet, our folks on the conservative side will come to me and they will say to me, why is it that young women want to kill their babies? I'm like, wow, wow. Wow, that's what you're going to say to people on the other side of the aisle from you. Words of death. I mean, literally words of death. They're looking at you and saying, you want to kill babies. That's not, that is not the hearts of the people. The hearts of the people are, we have to protect this right. And we lost that culture war. We have opportunities to go back and support life. But it's going to be a series of battles. It's going to be a series of small battles. And we have to accept that it is okay to win battles along the way. I will support anyone who says, look, we went from 24 to 26 weeks and we got it down to 12, just like we see in most European countries. We got it down to 10. And now we're going to offer childcare. Now we're gonna come around people with child tax credits. And now we're gonna come around people and say it's gonna be easier to, do, to adopt. And why don't we start fighting rape? Because in Michigan, we are in the top five for rapes per capita in the United States. How does it help us to have the most a, a radical abortion law in the country? It's like a free pass for people to continue doing this. Why are we not fighting back on the criminals who are going after women and putting them in this position? But there's also that scared teenager. There is also that woman who doesn't know how she'll make her the ends meet with another child. Those stories are real. And we need to understand that we are not winning over the hearts of people by pulling out our scroll and telling them that we know the law better. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Words of life. It's so important that we start talking this way, that we change this movement in a way that we start to win back people over for family. And I mean it so sincerely that I think that more people will live, more babies will live, more families will thrive if we as conservatives come around and start speaking words of life into this movement, support into this movement. And we say this is going to be a heart issue, not just a political issue. It's a tough conversation to have. I learned a lot on the campaign trail. There was this one point when... <laughs> they they asked me about the abortion pill on the radio. And I will tell you, I thought they were talking about plan B. And I said, well, plan B will always be available because it's a contraceptive. And I got a call right after that radio interview. You have to go back on the air and explain this. Do you not know what the abortion pill is? And, and honestly, I didn't. And I've talked to young women since then who didn't know what the abortion pill was either, because I had only ever heard of that. And I'm obviously somebody who is older now and I'm not having children at this point in my life. So I was not aware of what the abortion pill was. So the abortion pill is a pill that you've seen in the, in the news lately because the FDA has gone back and forth on whether or not they're going to relook at it and see if it's truly safe. And the reason people have asked if it's truly safe is that you can take this pill, it's two pills, you can take it up to 11 weeks. And so you take the first pill and that 
suffocates and essentially kills the baby. And then you take the second pill. And this is all at home. This is not under the supervision of a doctor at a hospital. This is at home. In fact, the real complaint is that this is now legal to mail to people. And you could mail it across state lines, but you could just call up the doctor and have it mailed to you. And so Again, you have the sex traffic, tra sex trafficking concern because how do we really know who this is going to and who is taking this pill? But also, you're going into labor at home. And so I will give Life News credit on this because they posted a video of a young woman who explained that she didn't know what this was going to do. She thought she would bleed and that would be it. It would be like a period. But she said she decided she waited. She got it at seven weeks. She was actually hoping that her boyfriend would change his mind. And then at 10 weeks, she took it and she tells through tears that she woke up to the stabbing pain about 5 a.m. Yeah, because labor is incredibly painful. So she's going into labor and she's giving birth to a baby that has died. And she said she gave birth in the toilet and looked down and was shocked to see a baby there. It was haunting to listen to this girl tell this story. That was what I didn't know about the abortion pill. When they asked me about the abortion pill, I didn't know that you could just order it in the mail. You could have an abortion at home under no supervision of a doctor as a young woman in your house. She said she bled for days after that and just laid in bed. There's nothing easy about abortion. We are in this world of absolutes. We have the one side that says, absolutely don't do it. You'll figure out a way. You can give your baby up. You can keep your baby. Just keep your baby. The other side that says, get a cake, celebrate it, have a party, talk about your abortion. Neither of those is reality. Those people who go through the abortion, it's hard. There's pain afterward. There's anguish after that. The people who don't, who choose life, they adopt out their baby, they keep their baby, it's hard. These are hard issues that we are making light of in elections. When these are heart issues, we need to be working on in different ways. So I encourage all of you out there, no matter what side you're on, step away from the absolute. Hear what young women are saying. Stop going out there and saying women want to kill their babies. And if you're on the side where you're shouting your abortion and celebrating it, Stop doing that too, because you're giving a false idea of what this actually is, how harmful this actually is to someone's heart. Both sides are making a mistake. We have got to start talking about this in a different way. And I'll end by saying this. We have people that are making light of this and making this a political issue we have people on the left who are asking folks to join them and celebrate abortions. And we have people on the right that are asking them to join them and say, you absolutely won't do this. You absolutely protect this in all ways. I'm asking you, if this is near and dear to your heart, talk to people, talk through this. Do not make this something that you're going to hold a candidate to. You're going to destroy a political campaign over. I saw a, an article from a life group where somebody was quoted saying, I'd rather never see a Republican win again than have them give an inch on life. 
the idea that one person can stand in the way, that a human can part the sea on this, you're wrong. It's not up to a person to part the sea. God is asking you to listen to the people. I promise you, he wouldn't have let Prop 3 pass in Michigan if he wasn't trying to send a message that we are not winning over the hearts, the hardened hearts of the people, and that we need to change our approach. I'd love to talk about it more. I know that this is probably going to be a big shock to people out there, but it's an issue that's going to come up in this race. We already see people going after Donald Trump. Donald Trump, he's the bad guy now. He's pro-choice. And Ron DeSantis is six weeks that he passed the heartbeat bill. He's right. Watch what happens. This is going to be really interesting. Donald Trump got these justices appointed to the Supreme Court. Everything that the pro-life movement wanted was to get these justices appointed to the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. But now Donald Trump is the bad guy because he said, well, I would let the states choose. They want somebody to come in and say, federally, we are going to do, we are going to, with the Mark of a pen, pen, with the swift move of a pen, we are going to change the way people think about abortion. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. There is There are battles along the way. If you think you have a savior that is going to come in and dictate this from the White House, you may be in for another 2020, 2022. It's going to be a rough ride. So go off into the distance. I suggest you speak words of life. You think about when you're speaking words of death. We come around families. It's about time we get that back. Thank you for listening to me on this very hard subject of abortion. As usual for this episode and others, you can go to the TudorDixonPodcast.com. Subscribe right there and make sure you join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. Go out there and speak words of life, everyone. Thanks. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.